Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history, and we are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. Today, we bring you a story about amateur basketball from the state of Iowa. As I was preparing this story, I realized that 15 of our last 20 episodes had to do with the NBA or NBA players. And of course that makes sense since the NBA is the top basketball league in the world and many of the best stories come from there. But I also do not want us to forget that basketball existed as a sport for 55 years before the NBA was even created. Since this is a basketball history podcast, I sometimes need to go back and spend time sharing stories from those first 55 years to see how basketball developed or had an impact on a local community. And that brought me to this story of six against six basketball as it was played in the state of Iowa. For those not familiar with Iowa, it is located in the north central part of the United States. It is known primarily as an agricultural state. The main products that come from Iowa are corn, soybean, hogs, and cattle. The state is very rural. The largest city is the state capital, Des Moines, with a population of 210,000 people. In other words, Iowa has a lot of farmers and a lot of farmland, and that is the backdrop for today's story. As basketball was developing in the early part of the 1900s, the game was being played by different rules all over the country. The very first women's game ever played was played in Massachusetts only two years after the game was invented. The women's game developed differently from the men's version. For women, it was considered too strenuous for them to play by the same rules as the men. At the time, remember this is over a hundred years ago, at the time the thinking was that women could not handle the stress of having to play a full court game running up and down over and over again. So a version of basketball was developed for women that featured nine players on the court for each team. The court was then divided into three zones. Each team would place three players into each of the three zones. Players were not allowed to leave their zone during play. The only time a player could leave their zone was during a substitution or if the coach was rotating players into different zones during a stop in play. A team could field three defensive specialists who stayed in the defensive zone, three midfield players who stayed in the central zone, and three offensive players who stayed in the attacking zone. The other team would do the same thing. Eventually, it was realized that this was too many people on the court at the same time. For women, the game developed further into just six against six basketball, with the court divided into two zones. The half-court line was the boundary for each zone. Teams would place three forwards into the offensive zone, and those were the only three players who could shoot. Then the team would play three defensive players called guards, who would play permanently in the backcourt. And since the players were not allowed to cross half-court, it meant that essentially you had two separate three-on-three games going on. 
If a player got the defensive rebound, she had to pass it across half court to one of her offensive teammates. If a player got the defensive rebound, she had to pass it across half court to one of her offensive teammates and then just wait in case the opponent got the ball and brought it back the other way. The practical effect of this is that half of the girls on any given team were terrible shooters because they were defensive specialists and never had to shoot the ball in a game. They only practiced defensive techniques. Now here are some of the other rules of six against six basketball. A player can only take two dribbles before they must pass or shoot the ball. Yeah, just two dribbles and then they had to do something else with the ball. You could not just James Harden somebody by taking 20 crossover dribbles before stepping back to shoot a 35 footer. Here's another one. Outside of the lane, a defensive player cannot attempt to tie up the ball handler. So, the offensive player could just stand there outside of the lane, holding the ball in one hand like it was on a serving dish, and the defensive player could not grab for it. Here's another one. After each basket, the referee would take the ball to midcourt and inbound it to the other team. Yes, the referee would perform the inbound pass. Of course, the opposing players could not try to steal the inbound from the referee. The opposing players had to let one of the offensive specialists from the other team receive the ball freely from the referee before engaging. The offensive player would stand in the offensive half of the center circle to receive the ball from the referee. And again, no player was allowed to cross the half-court line. Now, outside of those and a few other minor rules, it was normal three-on-three -three basketball. The sport really caught on in the small towns of Iowa. Something about it just struck a chord with the small farming community spread out through the state. It became as popular as boys' basketball, and many of these girls became local heroes in their communities. Eventually, big city high schools from Fort Dodge and Des Moines began to field their own teams, but this sport was definitely dominated by the small rural high schools. In 1925, there was a meeting of the state's high school administrators. It was the Iowa State Teachers Convention and they decided that high school sports was going to be for boys only. There would no longer be any girls sports anywhere in the state. So what did they do to save girls sports in the state of Iowa? Well, I'll have that answer for you right after this break. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We here at the Sports History Network proudly partner with 26 podcasts, all revolving around the history of sports. But did you know that many of our hosts were sports history authors way before they started their shows? It's true. We've got Joe Ziemba, host of When Football Was Football, Joe Zagurski, host of Pro Football in the 1970s. Mark Morthier, host of Yesterday Sports. Tommy Phillips, host of Lombardi Memories. And Scott Adamson, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line. All these authors have many books for you to choose from. To check them out, go to our website at sportshistorynetwork.com slash sportshistorybooks. Pick up your copy today! Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. 
Welcome back to the show and let us continue with our story on six against six girls basketball. Before the break, I shared how the state of Iowa tried to cancel all girls sports in the state and the year was 1925. Now many of these small communities threw a fit and rightfully so. I completely see where they're coming from. I have a daughter and I used to coach her in basketball and soccer from the time that she was five years old until she was 14. And I would have been livid to find out that she could no longer play sports at the high school level. It would have been beyond comprehension, and I would not have stood for it. And these small communities, well, they didn't stand for it either. So they broke away from the state teachers convention and formed a separate organization called Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union. And they kept basketball alive for girls throughout the state. And even into the 1930s, the only sport available for girls to play in the state of Iowa was basketball. Eventually, the union began to add other sports like softball and volleyball, but basketball was the big moneymaker. The annual Girls Basketball State Championship Tournament brought in 80% of the revenue for the entire year to support girls' athletics. The championship tournament was held in Des Moines each year, and only the best 16 teams were invited to play in it. Just making it to the state tournament was an enormous accomplishment for these girls and their communities. The city of Des Moines would put on a parade through the downtown area to kick off the tournament. They would bring in halftime entertainers to perform during the halftime of each game of the tournament. The players became celebrities, signing autographs for little girls who hoped to one day play in the state tournament themselves. This was a really big deal in Iowa, and they sold out the tournament every year. These girls got to play in front of crowds that were 10 times as large as the crowds in their small gyms at home. A reporter by the name of Jack North made sure that girls basketball stayed in the spotlight. He was a huge fan and used his platform as a well-known sports writer to make sure that the tournament got the attention it deserved. In 1972, the United States Congress, which is like Parliament for my overseas audience, they passed a new legislation called Title IX and it was supposed to ensure that men and women were treated equally in the workplace. But the way that the new law was worded had a significant impact on sports as well. It basically required that all public schools or state-run schools to provide the same budget for both boys and girls athletics. In other words, a state-run high school had to provide the same amount of money to girls sports as they provided for boys sports. It took a couple of years for people to realize what this really meant in regard to high school sports. It was around 1975, three years after the legislation was enacted, when people fully understood the meaning of this legislation. Essentially, it impacted girls sports everywhere. However, it did not have an immediate impact on six against six girls basketball in Iowa. The girls in Iowa continued to play their version of basketball just as they had been for over 50 years. However, in 1983, three players sued the state claiming that having the girls play six on six was not equal to the boys playing five on five. The response from the state was to let schools choose which form of basketball they wanted to play. In 1983, most schools decided to stay with six on six. It created a situation where Iowa had to have two separate championship tournaments, one for the teams playing six on six and one for the teams that were playing five on five. But as time went on, more and more schools switched to five on five basketball because they felt that it would give the players a better chance at securing athletic scholarships to colleges since the women at the college level were playing five on five and had been for years. It makes sense that most college coaches were looking for girls who already played and understood five on five basketball. 
By 1993, the state of Iowa decided to eliminate six-on-six -six basketball completely. All schools playing that version would have to switch to five-on-five -five for the following season. And I know that some people might think that it was wrong to keep some of the girls playing six-on-six -six into the 1990s. At the same time, the state of Iowa had girls' athletics going back to the 1910s, decades before many other states had girls' sports at all. Up until the 1970s, many states had no girls' athletics of any kind until that Title IX legislation that I mentioned just a moment ago. There is one girl that most of you basketball history aficionados might be familiar with. Her name was Patricia Head, or Trish, and she played her high school basketball in the state of Tennessee, and she played six on six. She was a superstar player who proved herself to be an offensive powerhouse and earned a scholarship to the University of Tennessee at Martin, where she played five on five. She also played for the United States in the 1976 Olympics, winning the silver medal. Upon graduation from college, she was hired as the new head coach at the main campus, the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, the Volunteers. She was only 23 years old when she got hired, and she made it her mission to help each class of incoming freshmen make the transition from 6-on-6 six six to 5-on-5 five five basketball. She would get married and also change her first name. From then on, she was known as Pat Summit. She won the NCAA championship eight times. She coached Team USA in the 1984 Olympics to a gold medal, and she was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in the year 2000. So, there you have it. That was six-on-six -six basketball in the state of Iowa. As a dad of a teenage girl, I am glad that Iowa gave girls the opportunity to play sports decades before other states did. I have also included a link in the description in case you want to see some video of what the game looked like. So join us next time as we bring you the story of Wat Misaka. You may not have heard of him, but he was the first person of color to play in the NBA. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? 
Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.